Hebrews 13, starting in verse 7. We'll read down to 17. It says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace that he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. As our author wraps up his letter to the church, uh, he's been loving these people. He, he, he cares for these people. These people are struggling. They're facing great trials, hardships, persecutions. And so the last two weeks, we've talked about the fact that in the midst of those persecutions, he's called them up to godly living. He's saying, listen, don't, don't, don't just think that because life is tough, you're going to get a pass here. Right. In fact, in the midst of difficulty, you, you need to really raise the bar. You need to focus on godliness right now because people are watching how you respond to difficult circumstances in life. That's the same as is true with us. Our, our, our faith is never as is, is great a testimony as it is when life is difficult. And so he says, listen, times are tough, and so I want you to raise the bar. I want you to focus on godliness. And, but he gives us that great reminder. But remember, you're not doing it alone. God never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He is with you. And Jesus stands. The Lord is our help. So so I want you to understand God's going to help you be the person he's calling you to be. And in addition to that, in the midst of that, while you're struggling with that, one of the things that you need to maintain is an attitude where you are committed to following your leaders. He encourages them that as they attempt to hang in there and contend for their faith, they need to follow their leaders. And, and really, what we have here in verse 7 through 17 is a discourse on what godly leadership looks like and on what our responsibility as Christians uh, is towards godly leadership. That's what we have. And so uh, our lesson this morning, just straightforward, Jesus is a better leader. Uh, Jesus is a better leader. And, and we're going to do it a little different this morning. Our observations are going to talk about godly leadership. So that, that little section, we're going to talk about godly leadership. We're going to talk about uh, specifically um, Jesus in relation to leaders and their leadership. And then when we get to application, we're going to focus on our responsibility to that kind of leadership. Okay? And so let's just walk through that this morning. The first thing I want you to see according to our text is that godly leaders sit under Christ's authority and they teach his word. Godly leaders sit under Christ's authority, 
and they teach his word. I want to start in verse 17, then I'm going to go back and read verse 7 and 8. Verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Verse 7, it says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. As our author makes a case to his readers about their need to follow their leaders, um, a powerful byproduct occurs. You know, that happens a lot in our world. Uh, We produce uh, oil, uh, we produce uh, gasoline, and we have byproducts of that gasoline. And a lot of those byproducts make their way into our everyday life, into plastics and all kinds of other things that we have. Probably all the things that cause us cancer, you know. Uh, But there's byproducts, right? But there's there's a great godly byproduct of the case that our author makes here. So he's making a a, a case for their need to follow their leaders. But as he's he's trying to prove his point of their need to follow their leaders, he makes this great case for what godly leaders indeed look like. And and really that, that case is all hung around verse 17. Here's the foundation for, for the entire case of why we are to follow godly leadership. He says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority, for they keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Right? And, 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 and what he's saying here is that godly leaders are leaders that understand that they themselves are just really followers of Jesus. You've got to start there. So, so if your leadership doesn't understand that, that they're not really the leader, you've got a problem. For, for godly leaders always understand that there is only one true leader, and his name is Jesus, and they always come under that authority, right? And so their whole life is dedicated to actually being a follower of Christ, not just a leader of people. And, and ultimately, they're accountable to Jesus for All the people that they lead, they sit under Christ's authority. Because they sit under Christ's authority, what you need to understand is that everything that they are responsible for flows from that authority, from Christ's authority, not their own. And if Jesus has ultimate authority over them, that means that Jesus has ultimate authority over what they teach means that, that, that the, your, your leaders, and by the way, teaching is a primary responsible, uh, responsibility of a leader of the church, Acts 6.4. means that they don't teach under their own authority, that they don't teach their own ideas or, or their own opinions. It means that they don't teach politics or, 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 or preach uh, who they uh, think you should vote for. They're not primarily concerned with stories that might make you feel warm and fuzzy that were found on Facebook. Uh, rather, they, they preach or they teach Jesus. Because godly leaders um, are consumed with a desire to present the Word of, of Jesus, the Word of God, um, as complete and, and correct as they can. In fact, Paul kind of lies out that charge for us in 2 Timothy 2.15. That is the charge for, for godly leadership, uh, for those that are, are sharing the word of God with you. That's what it says in verse 7. You're to remember those. He said, Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. I want you to notice that phrase there for a second. It says, do your best. Didn't say everybody gets a trophy, right? It didn't say, hey, thanks for participating, but rather this is the goal of of being a leader. 
is that you give everything that you have, that you pour your very life and your love into presenting yourself as, as one that is approved, that can do what? A worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Part of that correct handling, guys, is, is what we find in verse 8. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It means that godly leaders understand that the gospel never changes. No, no matter how much society changes, no matter who we vote into office, no matter what, what, what court might decide, the, the gospel never changes. The good news of Jesus doesn't change based on popular opinion or based on what society says is now correct or isn't correct, but the gospel is unchanging because Jesus himself is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so uh, a godly leader must teach Scripture, the whole of it, the whole gospel. And yes, that does mean that they teach that God loves us because that is the heart of the gospel. But it also means that they teach that we are sinners beyond repair because that too is at the heart of the gospel. That on our own and by ourselves, we will always choose sin. We will always choose self. means that they continue to teach that we need a Savior and that's the point of the law is to point us to our need for a savior means that they constantly teach that we need to repent from our sins in order to receive said savior you don't get to come to jesus and keep all of your junk that's not how it works Jesus said, anyone that would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And so again, at the heart of the gospel is is the fact that Jesus is the treasure that is worth finding. That when we find Jesus, we go and we sell all that we have that we might own that field, right? That we have found the greatest treasure that there ever is. Which means, therefore, that our lives should reflect the fact that we have found said treasure, and that should should be our focus from that point on, right? See, this is the gospel. That in Christ we, we have it all because in Christ we now have God. And we've been reconciled to God because of Christ's work on the cross. There's nothing that we can do on our own to earn that or deserve it. It is a free gift that's called grace from God. And that doesn't change. And that can't change. None of it can change. And so, so we, we begin here and, and our author would just say that every single leader that is over us, every godly leader, we're to submit to their authority, not because of who they are, but because of who Jesus is and because of what the gospel is and what the gospel says. Godly leaders sit under Christ's authority and they teach his word. Second, our text would show us that godly leaders are to seek uh, to follow Christ's example. Godly leaders seek to follow Christ's example. Or 7 and 8, it says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So this instruction, uh, is, is the call here is to think about the kind of life that our leaders have, have lived out for us and to imitate that, right? And the implication is that we do that because we know and we see that they themselves are following Christ Jesus, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
And so we're not just blindly submitting to to their leadership, but rather we're submitting, we're copying their life pattern because we see Jesus in them. Are you following me? That means that if you don't see Jesus in them, you are not copying their life pattern. You got it? this This is the precursor. They are following Jesus, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Therefore, we are called to to follow them. And it's just uh, interesting because they're following Christ's example. You say, where is that? Well, that's in in verse 9 through 14. It says, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teaching. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat him. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of the animals into the most holy place as animals in... uh, the sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make his own people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace that he bore. Now that's kind of complicated because we're not Jewish. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but the basic is that on the day of atonement, they would bring uh, the, the, the pure, blameless animals and they would, they would murder them. And they would take their blood, and, and then the blood was taken into the temple, and it was, it was seen as, as holy, right? The blood was, was sprinkled on the mercy seat. It was, it was a symbol of God purifies us by, by, by the blood of an innocent victim. It, it happened once a year, and, and this was, was a symbol of God forgiving his people. But all that blood came from a body. And the body was seen as disgraceful. I don't know, maybe it was a reminder. Once they kill the animal, oh my gosh, like sin's really bad. Sin's, sin's bad. It, 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 the body was always attached with shame and with disgrace. And so the body of these animals was always taken outside the city. It was always taken outside the camp. It was outside the covenant, and there it would be burned. And here our author says, guess where Jesus went for your sake? He went outside the camp. He, he, he took and he bore our disgrace and, and our shame. And godly leaders are called to follow that kind of example, right? That, that they, they, they must be willing to follow Christ's example. Godly leaders must be willing to be rejected by man. They must understand that their job is not to please people, but to lead people. Those are two totally different things, by the way. Politics is about trying to please people. How's that working out? Hope your faith and trust isn't there. I don't know if we've figured it out yet as a nation, but you can never please all the people, can you? Godly leadership is not about pleasing people. It is about pleasing God and leading people. In doing so, Those kind of leaders will no doubt face opposition and scorn because that's what happens when you follow Christ's example. Number three, I would say to you, according to our text, that godly leaders watch after you carefully because they are accountable to Christ. Again, verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. What does that mean? Verse 17 is about shepherding. It just is. That's, what, that, that's the reference. 
Uh, shepherding is very different in, in the Middle East than it is here. Here, we're really good at sheep herding. Uh, we herd cattle. We get behind them uh, on, on bigger animals or in devices like helicopters now, and we scare them to death. That's what we do, right? We scare them. Oh, yahoo! Yeehaw! Japa! You know, whatever. Shoot guns, fire, just make them run where we want them to go. We're, we're really good sheep herders, but that's not what the Bible teaches. That's, that's really not the heart of leadership. Leaders don't get behind their people and scare them into action. Leaders, Godly leaders walk in front of their people. They guide them. That's what Bedouin shepherds do. They walk in front of their sheep. They call them by name. This is the, the example that Jesus sets for us, right? It's, it's personal. It's always, it's always personal. There's a deep love relationship. You know, they say that uh, the shepherds in the Middle East, that even in the darkest night, if, if there are clouds covering the moon and the stars, that they can call their, their sheep to themselves, and in, in pitch blackness, they can just feel the bodies and the faces of their sheep, and they can tell which sheep they are. Did you know that? That's so impressive. It's an intimate knowledge, right? I think it's interesting when you, when you think about shepherds. Do you know that shepherds don't actually feed their sheep? They just lead their sheep to what they need to eat. You ever think about that? You ever see a shepherd with a spoon? Rather, they know their sheep. They know the diet that they need. They take them to different places so they get different nutrients that they need. But ultimately, the goal is always to lead them to a place that they might be able to, to eat themselves. It's very important that we... We read here, verse 9, it says, Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It's an important verse for us to read. Too often people think that church is the place that they are supposed to come in order to eat. No, my friends, church is the place that you need to come so that you know what to eat. It means that our primary responsibility here is not to feed you but rather to show you the kinds of things that you are supposed to be eating means that we're more like nutritional specialists that show you what a healthy diet of God's Word looks like so that you know right doctrine, so that you can test it, so that you're only taking in the right nutrients. We are called to lead you to the place, but ultimately you are the one that is supposed to take and eat. And that's a, it's a big deal. It's a huge and high calling. In fact, James uh, puts it this way, James 3.1. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Best advice I ever got about 15 and a half years ago when I felt the Lord was calling me into ministry. Um, and, and it was really amazing when I consider who gave it to me. That ever happened to you? There's somebody that, unlikely candidate, and gives you like the best advice you've ever heard. He just said, if there's anything else in the world that you can do, you need to go do it. He's completely right. I tell every single person I know that wants to go in ministry and that is in ministry, that's struggling, I just say, listen, I love you. But if there is anything else in the world that you can do, you need to go do it. Because otherwise, you're going to get hurt, and you're going to hurt the church. So if you can go into sales, brother, go into sales. 
If, 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 if you can go do customer service, man, go do that. If you can go be a manager, go be a manager. If there is anything else in the world that you can do, if, if, if the church and leading God's people is not your heartbeat and your passion, then go do something else. And go do something else, okay? Uh, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. So um, having said that, what is our responsibility when we see that kind of leadership? When, when that kind of leadership is walked out in front of us, and that's, again, that's a high calling, but what is our responsibility? So let's get into our application, focus on our responsibility, our response to that type of leadership. Number one, according to verse seven, uh, we are to remember our leaders. We're to remember our leaders. Verse seven, it says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Now, I know in English how that comes off. That sounds like past tense. Uh, in Greek, this is the aorist tense, which we don't have a... Uh, a formal equivalent in English. It just doesn't work. Uh, the aorist tense has, has no um, regard to past, present, or future. It just doesn't. So it's almost as if it would read something like, remember your leaders, those that have, those that are, and those that will speak the word of God to you. Okay? Re- remember any that have led you rightly, any that are le- leading you rightly, and any that will eventually lead you rightly. Like futurely, it, it, it covers the whole thing. Now, and, and in their case, some of their leadership was probably gone, right? I mean, some of them have probably been thrown in prison. Some of them maybe even, even put to death. But it's also addressing those leaders that remain and, and saying, remember them, con- consider them, pray for them. It's a huge deal. Again, if the Bible says not many of you should want to lead, um, and that says, hey, okay, I don't want to do that, um, then you need to think of those that still believe they are called to do that, and you need to remember them, and you need to pray for them. You need to pray for them. One of the greatest blessings in my life since I, I came here, and I, I know there were probably people when I was in other churches, and I was a youth pastor that prayed for me and always appreciated it, but there's a handful of people in this church that on a regular basis, uh, an even smaller handful that I know daily because they tell me every single day, Pastor, I pray for you. I can't even tell you. Their prayers are the reason that I'm probably still the pastor of this church. Because without them, you can't, it's impossible. It's impossible. Prayers of righteous man availeth much. And uh, so it's a big deal. So remember your leaders, pray for your, your leaders. And guys, this isn't just about pastoral leadership. Wives, you should pray for your husband daily. The man that God has called to lead your family and to lead your children. That's a high calling. That, that should be on the warning label before the wedding. Not many of you should esteem to be a godly leader. It's, 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 it's difficult, right? It's a heavy, heavy responsibility. Husbands, pray for your wives and their leadership in your home, with your children, all that they do. We know our wives teach way more than we do. We know it. That's lived out on a regular basis. Pray, pastors, spouses, parents. It's a big deal. Second, according to this text, we're called to follow our leaders. It says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That that phrase, consider the outcome of their way of life, I love the King James Version. This is how it reads. It says, consider the end of their conversation. My grandfather was getting older. I remember I'd go spend the summers up with him in Canyon Lake and 
taught me how to make a highball. I think I still make a pretty mean highball. I'm not sure. I don't know what they taste like. I just know I made them. He said they were really good. Uh, make him highballs, and I take him out to him on the deck, and he's retired, uh, retired lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. And, and I remember we would just sit there as the sun would set, and we would just talk about anything and everything. It was, it was during those times that I learned about his life. It, that was the end of his conversation. It was the end of his conversation, and I got to see uh, how he loved his family so much and why the family stayed together like it did. got to see the kind of leader that he was. That was the end of his conversation. It says we're, we're to consider the, the end of our, our leader's conversation. How's their life going to end up? Which way is it, is it pointing? We're supposed to consider that, their manner of life, and then it says, and then imitate their faith. That word imitate in Greek is not a hard one. It means follow. It, it, it's follow the leader. It, it's, it's the game that we learned in, in pre-K, right? It, it, that's the whole thing. It means that when they step out of, of, of the, the boat in faith, it, that we should do the same. Have you ever thought about how different the story would be if all the disciples got out of the boat? Have you? I mean, I, I just thought about this this week. They, may have, they probably would have had a disciples' dance party right there in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. They'd all followed. But you know, too often, we're afraid. And our leaders will walk out in front of us, and we will just stay in the boat. And our call, our command, actually, is to follow the faith of our leaders. That when they're willing to jump out of the boat, that we jump out with them and we say, this is nuts, man, but I'm so excited. Can't wait to see what God has in store. Okay? So we follow our leaders. Number three. Text calls us to ground ourselves in the gospel. Ground ourselves in the gospel. Verse 9, it says, Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. There's one thing that you could do that would bring your spiritual leaders great joy. Center your life around the gospel. Right? It says, Don't be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. It's talking about the gospel. Right? If... if, if People in the church would center their lives around the gospel. Our world would be radically different and leaders could sleep well. Got to ground ourselves in the gospel, the story of reconciliation and redemption and grace and make our lives about that and just about that. For too many Christians, I know, um, I believe they're muddying the water of the gospel. They're making it murky because of all the strange teachings that they hang on to. It's verse 9, don't be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. And so for many uh, Christians I know, they, they do know the gospel and they speak it. But with the same passion, or actually usually with more passion, they speak strange teachings. So they believe in the gospel and they, they teach the gospel, but, but, but even with greater passion they preach politics. Or with greater passion, um, they, they talk about the right or the wrong way to parent. 
or with greater passion, they talk about what you should put on your body or not put on your body or what you should put in your body or not put in your body. And, and because they preach it with great um, fervency, with, with either equal or greater fervency than they preach the gospel, um, it, it muddies the whole message of Jesus. And, and people, uh, especially those around them, their tribe, if you will, we all have a tribe, the people around them just get confused. Because of all that they spout out, and, and, and typically what ends up happening is they reject what should be a, a non-central issue in somebody's life, but now seems central because everything that we preach has the same level of importance. So when they go to reject um, the, uh, what does it say in verse 9, the strange teachings... They actually think they've rejected the gospel because they think the strange teachings are a part of the gospel. How sad it is that we live in a world that has rejected our strange teachings, um, but, but they believe they've rejected the gospel, and the truth is they may have never heard it. They just heard our American Christian politics. They just heard us talk about what you are supposed to put on or in your body or what type of parenting style you're supposed to have or, or what kind of passion you're supposed to have for uh, you name it, you fill in the blank. So I would ask you uh, this, and before I do, I want to I share this quote for, from, f- with you. I can't talk this morning. I read this this week by John MacArthur. It's a big deal. He says, one of Satan's most subtle approaches to the Christian is to move him away from sound doctrine and to get him wrapped up in beliefs that are unfounded, uncertain, and changing. And so here's what I would ask you uh, this morning. What, what are you wrapped up in right now? Like, what is your kick right now? We all have them, right? So, so what is the thing right now that you are just really passionate about? What, what, what is it? Is, it? is it politics and getting a certain president out of the office? Is, is it what you put in your body in some kind of new diet trend? Is, is it what you put on your body and it have to do with tattoos or piercing or what you wear? What, what is it that, that, that you're passionate and that you're preaching about right now? What are you proclaiming to your tribe? Because if you are proclaiming anything other than the gospel of grace, you're doing a disservice to the kingdom of God and you need to repent. It's the truth, but you can't say amen unless you live it. We can't come to church and say amen, that's right, and then leave church today and get on Facebook and go on a political tirade. That's not okay. You see, see, the one thing that we are called to proclaim is this. We found the treasure, and I've sold all else, and I don't put my faith in government, and I don't put my faith in my job, or in my money, or in the size of my home. If I have to go be a dirt farmer, meaning I can't grow anything, and I live in the dirt, but I have Jesus, my life means something. That's the gospel of grace. I've received the greatest treasure there is. This is my identity. This is the one thing I proclaim. And friends, I love you, but if you're proclaiming anything else, then I'm telling you in love, I I believe with all my heart, you need to repent of it. You need to repent of it. Because what we're doing is we are muddying the waters of the gospel. And people hear everything that comes out of our mouth, and they know that we're a Christian, and they think all that is Christianity. it, It is a C word, but it's just four letters. It's not Christianity. 
Paul would call it dung if you're still wondering what that C word is, okay? Number four. Last one. Verse 17. Believe in and yield to your leaders. It says obey your leaders and submit to their authority. The word obey in Greek, it literally means to believe or to have confidence in. Have confidence in the godly leadership that you see. Believe that they are hearing from the Lord. And then get this, it says, and then submit to their authority. That word submit, again in the Greek, it means to yield to. Isn't that an interesting picture, right? How do you like yield signs? Don't you prefer stop signs? Don't you prefer a stop sign? Because I, I go to a stop sign, I got there first, and that other dude has to wait on me, right? I always get to a yield sign. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that the young person in the car next to me didn't actually pay attention during driver's ed. You know what I'm, I'm always a little nervous. But there's something powerful about the yield sign. There's something powerful about the fact that that person has a right, but they're going to surrender that right. Isn't that powerful? The Bible says we need to yield to godly leadership. We need to come under it. We need to submit to it willfully. It's an act of submission just like, hello, just like following Jesus is an act of submission. We yield our very lives to him. Okay? It's a big deal. That's what godly leadership looks like. That's how we're supposed to respond. I'm going to ask you to pray with me this morning if you don't mind. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word pray over the next few moments you just speak to our hearts lord jesus uh, in your name i ask uh, these things amen amen um, just a very little simple prayer there and and here's uh the deal guys in a church this size we've got all kinds of leaders in this room especially in the early service and here's what i want you to do i want you to examine your hearts um, first i'm going to talk to leaders and i'm going to talk to followers and we, we we all should be a little bit of both by the way um, so first i want to talk to you as, as a leader, whatever role of leadership you have. Maybe it's leadership within your home. Maybe it's leadership over a ministry in the church. I just, I just want to ask, uh, you've, you've heard what godly leadership looks like. Are you that kind of leader? That's what the text calls us to. Like, I mean, it's just, it's this bold, blunt, in your face. Like, here's what a godly leader looks like. And, and if you're not that, then, then you, you need to come and confess, just, Lord, I haven't been the kind of leader I'm supposed to. I've made my life about a lot of things other than your kingdom. And I just want to repent. I want, I want you to be first place. I want people to see you in me. I want them to see that. Please, God, please. And so, so I, I, want to, I want to talk to those leaders. Maybe, maybe you're here and, and you've been a leader and, and you hear that text. And I'm, I'm not trying to scare you all, uh, but the Bible's very clear. Right? That not everybody should want to be a leader. And maybe you found yourself in a position and you're like, uh, no, not for me. I, I, I can do something else. <laughs> maybe that's it. You can do something else. You've got to go do something else. That's, that's going to stink, but listen, God's going to honor that. Don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt the church. Okay? So, so first, first invitation would be the leaders. Second invitation, God, would just be to, to us as followers, all of us as followers. And first and foremost, we're following Jesus. And if our lives aren't reflecting that, then something's drastically wrong. We need to repent of that. Maybe, maybe we're proclaiming a, a, a bunch of unsound teachings, things that don't matter. 
And we just need to repent of that and say, Lord Jesus, I am sorry. I just want to proclaim your grace. just want to be about your grace, about your gospel, about your love for people. Okay? And we can do that this morning too. And so I just want to encourage you. Would you just pray where you are this morning? Uh, would you just bow your heads? Alan's just going to play for a couple minutes. And, uh, and, and just, just pray this very simple prayer, okay? It's real easy. It's not going to break you. Uh, well, it, it actually probably will break you. But just pray it anyway. Ready? God, what are you saying to me? Just pray that prayer and just listen. God, what are you saying to me? And then just listen. God, what are you saying to me right now?